morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have another podcast host, the host of the Sales Enablement Podcast, 180,000 followers on LinkedIn. Nick, why should people listen to the one and only Andy Paul? Armand, I thought you and I were pretty good at podcasting after, I don't know, 60 plus episodes of 30 Minutes to President's Club. But Andy's put out something like a thousand podcast episodes, so... We had a lot to learn from him today, and so does the audience. Three, two, one, learn something today. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. All right, Andy, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Sure. The first one, two questions every seller must be able to answer. You know, if your manager comes to your, looks at your pipeline, you should be able to answer about every account, which is what value does the customer need from us in our next interaction in order to move closer to making a decision? And a result of the second question is as a result of receiving that value, what are the commitments are they taking to next steps? Beautiful. What's number two? Number two is find the one thing which is during discovery, you know, a lot of time wasted trying to <laughs> learn lots of data. Some of that's important, but there's always one thing that's more important than every other thing. So you have to listen to understand what that most important thing is to the buyer and then find out who it is most important to. Love it. Round us out, Andy. What's number three? So true qualification is my experience has shown is you don't have a truly qualified account 
until the buyer has quantified the value they're going to receive from their investment in your solution. So quantified it in terms of dollars. So until they've done that internal business case, they're just window shopping. This one's always tricky because I've had a number of customers ask me, Armand, I, I love your product, but would you put together an ROI analysis for me? And every time I do it, I feel like I'm getting stuck in this commodity battle where I'm counting hours and putting BS numbers on it. So how do I get them to quantify what pain they have without me doing that? Well, it has to come from them, right? I mean, if they're asking you to do it, that's still problematic. And so you have to have the connection with the people who are driving the business, internal business case, because believe me, they're going to do an internal business case. Every company, well, they're not going to rely on your ROI to make their decision on. It'll be an, a factor, right? But they're going to want their own business case done. Until that's done, they're not committed to moving forward. You wonder why we have so many no decisions. Yes, that range from 50 to 80% of B2B deals in a pipeline end up in, in no decision because they haven't done that business justification. They haven't made that commitment that, hey, we're actually going to proceed because they don't know what it's going to do for them. And so until they have gone through this process and you want to help them, your ROI calculator can help, but it's not going to be the decisive thing for them. They have that commitment. It's happening. You just need to find out who's doing it. Well, so Andy, you just said something that I'm really curious about is our customers are putting together their own internal business case, why we should do this thing. And so, of course, they're not relying on Armand's ROI deck that he put together that makes it look like, yeah, this thing pays for itself in two days. But one of my sales mentors told me, Nick, you've always got to do the work for the customer, meaning make it as easy as possible for them to put together the stuff that they need. And so I guess I'm curious to hear from you, knowing that the customer is not going to rely on Armand's ROI deck, how do I help them actually put together that business case? Because I don't want it to end in no decision and they might not have ever done that before. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of parts to that. One is you can do the work like Armin talked about. You can do, hey, this is what we've seen in other customers, right? This is some of the business cases they've put together. Uh, it's not just you know based on our ROI calculator. But part of it is you have to motivate them to get to the point where they want to do that internal business case. And so for me, I like to summarize this, you know, they need to be given that vision of success, right? So if your most important thing is, look, we want to, we want to increase market share 2%. What's that mean in terms of dollars? You have that information. If that's the most important thing, what's that going to mean to you? If we can accomplish that, what's that mean in terms of dollars? And if they don't have that answer, then you need to keep working with them <laughs> to help them get that because they're not ready to proceed until they have that. What's the impact going to be on, then you sort of layer, what's the impact going to be on the organization? What's the impact going to be on the team? What's the impact going to be on you personally? So, and walk me through that, right? Don't just say, take the answer. Say, okay, interesting. Well, tell me more about that. So let's walk me through the details of that. What would that look like for, you know, John, who's a sales rep that's going to use this new tool on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, let's, let's get down to the details. And so you always want to keep saying, What's the impact? What's that going to mean in terms of dollars, time, something that they have to quantify. So they really have to think about it. And so just brush you off a sort of superficial answer, which they're sort of prone to do if you don't push them. So one thing I struggle with a lot is if I try to get people to quantify things, it can feel very cringy or it can feel like I'm leading them into a sales trap where I'm saying like, well, what does this mean for your company? And then you, and then this and that. And they're like, well, come on, sales guy. I know what you're doing. How do you well, finesse it a little bit? Make it more conversational, right? It's just, you just don't fall from one to the other, right? It's, a lot of us have to do with just, well, tell me more about that, right? Conversational. That's really interesting. And some people talk about just go, hmm, well, tell me more about that. 
right? It's just develop what works for you. For me, always extremely conversational and just sort of gradually keep layering on. So tell me more about that. What's interesting? What else can you tell me about that? And people feel like you're sincerely interested. And this is you know, part of the presentation, right? Is, is if a seller comes across as being so pushy and persuasive, yeah, defenses go up. People are going to say, yeah, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to give you the right answer, right? But if you've developed this connection that seems authentic, if you're building your credibility, if you're demonstrating to be trustworthy, right? Because you haven't really you know, sort of fallen back into the, the pushy MO. Yeah, people are going to give you time and answer your questions. I mean, that's, that's I think, the key that a lot of people miss is that it's just by being more human, being more open, more conversational, more connected with the buyer that they open up and they want to share things with you. I love that question. It's not even a question. It's sort of just like a statement where it's like, hmm, could you tell me more about that? I've been using that so much. Like, I don't know. I sort of have fallen into this trap with this podcast where I have so many conversations about really like deep and detailed and smart discovery questions. And in reality, sometimes the best discovery I've ever had is when I've accidentally left myself on mute and I'm like talking over the customer and they just end up like they can't hear me because I'm on mute and they just start giving me more detail. It's amazing. I kind of want to go back to like the beginning of the discovery call where you hop on the Zoom and you're there smiling and the customer joins and you're like face to face. And a lot of times customers have this preconceived notion of like what an interaction with a salesperson is going to be. And the sad truth of it is most of the time people have had bad experiences with salespeople. And I think one of the things that good sellers do is they quickly change the other person's perspective. And they're like, no, I am sincere. And I am somebody you can trust. And I'm sort of curious, like, what are you doing in the first couple of minutes of the discovery call or initial call you have with somebody to like, get them to a place where they are willing to share and like, give you everything that you need. So I said, just connect, be human, be interested in them. I mean, I find it amazing this day and age with LinkedIn readily available to everybody or the internet readily available to everybody that every seller isn't taking just a few minutes to find something out about this person that that can start a conversation. Yeah, there's this move afoot to sort of downgrade the importance of small talk. And it's wrong. It's just flat wrong. I mean, the, the multiple studies have been done about it. Small talk is an important part of, in, of building a connection with someone. And so... Yeah, I, I tell you, when, you know, we live in a day and age, let's say with this pandemic, here, everybody in that you're going to talk to as a potential customer has a shared experience with you. Why not spend a minute talking about it? You know, another one, which is, is a, a brilliant way to the shared experience everybody has is, I know this is going to sound funny, it's weather. Everybody says, oh, don't ask the weather question. Well, yeah, of course, don't ask the weather question. But if somebody, if you're talking to a customer on the East Coast in the midst of a snowstorm and they just had a snow day, and you grew up someplace where you had snow days, or you may be curious what your kids do on a snow day. That's something you can talk about. It's just, you know, be interested in them and what's happening with them. And, you know, keep it focused on them. It's just, it's the same thing you do as if you're making a friend. But as long as you've got one topic and it sort of runs to a natural conclusion, it's then, yeah, just segue to business. They know, you know, start talking about your agenda for the meeting. You know, if somebody's not there, ask, is everybody here? Let's get started. Maybe we could all turn off our phones yeah, you know, there's just a little cue that says, okay, it's time for business. So what are you doing in your agenda or how do you set up your agendas to prime yourself to be able to go to that? Well, it goes back to the thing about the value plan that I talked about, the two things, two questions you should be able to ask because that really sets your agenda, right? Because you're going to have really, other than the first call, you're going to have sort of set that agenda at the end of your last interaction you had with them. 
And so you want to know, right, for every account in your pipeline, every qualified opportunity, we'll stick it up every qualified opportunity for now in your pipeline is you should be able to know what they're expecting from you next that will help them move closer to making a decision. And that, that really is the denominator of value for most of the customers is progress, right? In this time we invested with you, did we make progress toward making a decision? And if we didn't, what was the point of the interaction, right? If it was a call, Zoom call, in-person call, phone call, email even, yeah, people have to take time to read your emails. And so you have to you have to know, you have to be conscious as a seller to say, do I know this, this answer? And if I don't, then maybe I wasn't asking the right questions or I wasn't going deep enough on my last interaction because yeah, I'm just sort of shooting in the dark here. Well, what you're saying about progress is really interesting because I don't know, I feel like sometimes there's a lot of pressure on, on sellers to be like every interaction, I've got to be selling hard and persuading and convincing. When in reality, like if you're just progressing and the buyer is learning and understanding more and more and more about your solution, like you're going to keep getting closer and then they'll start pulling more people in. Like one of the ways that I was able to progress the deals, my deals a ton, I was selling an ERP system, was getting the customer's IT director on a call with like my head of security IT and just having that sort of IT discussion that I didn't participate in all. I didn't know what I was talking about. I just set it up, but that helped progress the deal forward. And now they're having conversations internally. So you're right about progress. You mentioned something that I've been doing. I probably started doing it about a year and a half ago and it's helped me a lot, but I don't think most salespeople do it. And it was teeing up the next steps at the end of the last call for the interaction you're in presently. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's really powerful. Yeah, you want to confirm at the end of a meeting what's going to happen next, right? And so it's based on, did you have the right understanding from the meeting that you were just in about what's required, what they think they're going to need, information, or maybe it's something that you've come up with that maybe you think, hey, there's some questions that need to be asked next time that we need to have this particular type of discussion because you know value can come in, in multiple forms, but you should pretty well know that. And you want to confirm that with the buyer when you're done. And that's the easiest way to do that is just to ask those questions. You can't be afraid to sort of put yourself out there and say, did I get that right? Or was this a value to you? Was this meeting of value to you? Did we accomplish what you thought we were going to accomplish? Let's talk about what we're going to do next time. There's not a lot of mystery in it. It's just being open to ask those questions because a lot of times sellers are sort of reluctant to say, ask, well, was this a, did we achieve what you wanted in this meeting? Because they're afraid someone's going to say no, just like, but that actually you want that no. If you didn't do a good job, you want to know, right? You missed the mark somehow. And you could be perfectly well-intentioned. You could have been perfectly well-prepared. Sometimes meetings just don't go off the way you thought they were going to do, right? You get a new person in the room who hadn't been uh, on a call before. And so they got their own agenda, which has happened to me a million times, right? And we thought, God, we're marching on this path. We've talked to everybody. There's one stakeholder we haven't talked to yet. I hope we can get him. And then suddenly he shows up in the room and he just craps all over everything <laughs> that happens but confirm it at the end of the meeting that you're on the right track at that point and what's going to happen next i like that question because oftentimes buyers are going to come with like a list of questions that they need to, to get answered from you and when you ask that question they might actually that might prompt them to look at their list and say i didn't ask you about how you integrate with x and i needed to and we're at time and it's like that gives you an opportunity to set another next step. Well, we can definitely talk about that. Are you free next Thursday at free? Right? That's yeah. smart. Well, I mean, I think the, the misconception that most sellers have is that the buyer understands what they want to do. 
And it's, it's a hard job to help them understand what the problem is they're trying to solve. They may have identified certain things, but it's our job to help them perfect their understanding of that. And it's our job to help them come to an understanding of how they want to solve that problem. I mean, really, if, if sellers are doing this correctly, is they're sort of the third order question is, who do we want to solve it with? Right. First, it's what are we trying to do? How do we want to do it? The third order question is who do we want to do it with? Then, boy, we get a lot of credit if we help them feel like they have a better understanding of what it is they need to do. Okay. And I've won deals where the customer, you know, for startups selling mission critical communication systems, competing against all the big guys. And the customer said, We gave it to you because you're the only one who we felt understood what we were trying to do. I love that distinction. It's, you're right, because the buyer comes in and they know they have a problem. Something in their business is not working, but they might not understand the entire extent of that problem. And they certainly don't understand the very best way to solve it. And if you can help them get more clarity around both of those things, because you've seen problems like this before, hopefully, and because you've solved problems like this before, hopefully, if you can just help them like understand where the heck they're sitting today, you have a ton of credibility. Now you don't have to sit here and say, we've been in business since 1985. It's like, this person gets it. Like, I don't care if you were, have been in business for two weeks, you helped me understand where I am sitting. Now, Andy, tell me how we get to where I need to go. That's your opportunity to pitch. Well, I think the other part to keep in mind is that customers don't want to make the absolutely best decision. This is, there's actually a guy who won a Nobel Prize, and Herbert Simon won a Nobel Prize for his research into this decision-making, is that people start falling into one of two worlds. They're either what they call satisficers or maximizers. And satisficers are people who will gather information, do their research until they find a solution that satisfies their requirements and is sufficient to meet their long-term needs. And then they, they make a decision because they find it's not worth the additional investment of their time to keep looking because whatever incremental improvement they may find from some other solution is so small, it doesn't warrant the additional investment of time or lost market opportunity by not deploying the system that satisfies the requirements. To get, as we just talked about, to help them understand and then help them understand how your solution best meets that requirement, don't make a decision, right? People talk about sales acceleration. It's really, you don't think about decision acceleration. As you get the customer to the point where they understand this satisfies you're going to win the deal more often than not. So Herbert Simon found another group of customers called maximizers, decision makers called maximizers. They will look at every single solution, guarantee themselves they've made the absolute best decision. But they're more rare. And if you can, try not to settle them. So how do I deal with these ones? Because these are some of the toughest ones. They're using you as column fodder and they've got their list of seven demo requests. And I'm just like eating endless technical questions to get every single nook and cranny of the product covered feature for feature with another competitor. Do I just drop these deals or is there a way for me to get out of these? It's easy to get exercised by customers that want you to compete across a broad range of features. Your job is to find the ones that are most important and focus on those. So yeah, i give you an example is, is selling a telecommunication services first broadband high-speed internet to cruise ships. And this was back a while ago. And so this was a cruise line in Asia. It's like the biggest cruise line in Asia. And they had, again, this huge compliance matrix, all these requirements. And I thought, gosh, 
we're a small company, we're a startup, we're being against all these major system integrators, we're, if we don't find something that we can do that's better than them, we're going to be stuck. And so the sales guy had developed a good relationship with the owner of the cruise line. And so, yeah, we got on the phone and called the guy. And it turned out that he didn't care about high-speed internet browsing in the, in the state rooms. He didn't care about voice over IP. All he cared about was make sure the satellite link from the casino on board never went down because he wanted to be able to access the real-time take from the casinos at any time. So we, we just doubled down. We'd make sure there was hot swaps on the links and the link was never going to go down. And we ignored most of the other parts of the RFP. We just focused on that and won the deal as a result of it because that was his most important thing. What happens is, especially as you get to these later stage deals, you'll just get RFP after RFP after RFP. And I'll see these sales reps who look like professional RFP filler outers. Mm. And they're asking me for each question. They're like, oh, I feel like your answer is going to be bad here. Oh, our answer is going ha- to be bad here. And you start to ask them like, hey, do you think they actually care about that? And obviously they don't know. And nine times out of 10, if you just reach out to the team that's submitting the RFP and say like, hey, I had some questions about your questions so that I answer them correctly, they will almost always jump on a call and then you're on a discovery call. And then you can know where to hit super hard in the RFP versus where you can say like, hey, no, we don't have that, but that doesn't matter to you. And here's why it doesn't matter to you or 10 other customers that we have as well. Andy, this has been phenomenal. I've got a, a page and a half of notes here. So thank you for all that. But we've talked about a lot of really good things that salespeople can incorporate into their sales conversations. And now I want to flip that on its head. So I want to ask you about a bad habit. So my last question for you is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it helps them? I think one that maybe people don't think about a lot is, and it's in line with what we were talking about, is don't accept what the customer tells you at face value, right? Is you're talking to somebody that has an agenda and this, and this is not nefarious or manipulative. It's just, you know, they have their own agenda. You need to understand what that agenda is and it informs what they tell you. And so that's why you ask the follow-up questions. Well, tell me more about that. Well, what else can you tell me about that? And don't be afraid to push back because you want to get to the place of understanding and you're going to do that if you ask. And it's what I see oftentimes with sellers is, they look at like discovery or asking questions is I'm just, I'm accumulating facts, right? That's what discovery is. I'm going to accumulate facts. That's not what you want. You want to accumulate understanding. And that's this understanding is a different level than the facts. And that's where you get through the follow-up questions and, you know, layered questions that take you deeper. Beautiful. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Well, I happen to have a podcast of my own called Sales Enablement with Andy Paul podcast. People check it out. And uh, yeah, well, we've got a new book coming out in February that excited about, and maybe we'll come back on later and talk about that with here. Beautiful. Put it on the pre-order list, everybody. Go follow yeah. Andy, check well, out his podcast. It's, it's really, really good. And everybody stick around for a 60-second recap from me and Armand coming up soon. Today's show is sponsored by Calendly. If you're interested in accelerating your sales cycle, improving your prospects' experience, and booking more demos, there's one scheduling automation platform on the market that does all three. Calendly offers team-based scheduling, solutions and integrations for every department, and lead routing to instantly book qualified meetings from your website and match known leads to reps based on real-time Salesforce assignment. I find it really helpful when I have to book meetings with multiple people on my side so that I don't have to coordinate everyone's calendars. Get started today by checking out the show notes or Calendly.com. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect 
any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Andy Paul include, number one, always focus on the impact of an action to drive the prospect to build a business case. And the way you can do this is by asking layering questions. So what's the impact on the org, the team, and then the individual? Number two, for every deal in your pipeline, you should be able to answer, what value does the customer need from us in our next interaction to move the deal closer to a decision? And then two, what is the result of receiving that value? Number three, at the end of a meeting, you should always ask, hey, did you get everything you expected out of this call? And are we on the right track? And then lastly, number four, when you get an RFP, give them a call. Don't just fill out the RFP. Give them a call and say, hey, I have some questions about your questions, so I answer them the right way. And those are your four takeaways, folks. Nick, how can people help us out? I've been thinking a lot about the impact of inaction. And the inaction that I'm thinking about today is not subscribing to the 30 Minutes to President's Club podcast. If you don't subscribe to the show, you might miss a critical episode where we deliver best practices for sales that could help you win a deal. And with that deal, you could earn some commission and go buy some guac at Chipotle. So do not enact. Subscribe to the show, and we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.